Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. God is good. He's really good. We've been, we've been doing this 21-day fast, and this is the last week. So congratulations, you guys are almost made it. Uh, and I have been encouraged to not only hear what God is doing in your life, but maybe it's me, uh, just me here, but I've noticed a, a sensitivity to his presence in a different level. Um, it seems to be uh, come with ease, and I've enjoyed every moment of it today. Uh, let's go ahead and dive in. If you have your Bible, open up to Psalms chapter 23, Psalm 23. If you've been in church any length of time, you probably have a coffee cup with this on there. Um, Psalm 23, just hold that for a second, and we're going to dive into that in just a few minutes. Over the past few Sundays, we have been going through some foundational talks. And one of the reasons I like to do these foundational talks is because sometimes as buildings grow, as things increase, if you don't check the foundation, uh, you're not sure if it can bear the weight. I, I love this idea. We have these crepe myrtles, these trees down the driveway, and if they're not pruned regularly, they will branch out. And they look beautiful. Until a small gust of wind. And then the weight of those branches can no longer bear what's taking place and they snap like a twig. <laughs> pastor Allen and Pastor Marsha have been doing, have been senior pastors at this church since 2001. And they have started with a foundation and have increased in depth. And increased in depth. And one thing that I've noticed is that as new people have come in, we continue to dig out deeper, but then sometimes you got to realize you've you got to come back to some of the foundational things to make sure that we're all on the same page. Amen? There's a story of a European architect who was commissioned to build a library. It was a beautiful library. It was un- unbelievably gorgeous, just a humongous monstrosity of a library. And every angle and every square, everything was made to perfection. The only problem was is that as time went down, the the library would begin to sink. Every year it would sink, every year it would sink, and every year it would sink into the ground into a place that it was unsafe to be inside. And the reason why is because he forgot to account for the weight of the books. And this is what I believe has happened to churches across our world, is that we have expounded beautiful ideas and we have neglected the foundation. Easy example, in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, there was, with the uh, increased rise of evangelicalism and the increased rise of of charismatic, um, there's also a, a, I don't want to call it a sect or a a, uh, faction of, word of faith that was beginning to increase and grow. Can I tell you something? Beautiful. The idea, though, is that our words mean something. Amen? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's powerful. 
in your tongue is life and death. That's powerful. But what took place was after the foundation was laid, the branches began to go off in weird directions without being pruned. And it led to this place where if my words are important and the Spirit of God is in me and the Spirit of God spoke creation, then that means I can speak creation. So if I say Mercedes, Mercedes, Mercedes 18 times, I can manifest a Mercedes. That wasn't the point. You see how that branch went way up? They, they took a foundational truth that your, your words matter, and they branched it too far off, and then they, they live this life of disappointment when they try to do what somebody else did, and it failed. Because our words are meant to line up with His word. Our words are meant to line up with His vision, not my vision. God is under no obligation at all to do what I speak unless I speak his words. Jesus says, there is nothing that I do unless first seen or heard from the Father. Because he wasn't here for his agenda. It gets to a place of the cross where he's like, if there be any way that this can pass. Can I tell you, the cross was not appealing to Christ. We have this idea where he was just, let's do this. Everything's okay. He hurt like you hurt. He had flesh like you had flesh. And it gets to a place in his life and in my life where he gets to a spot where he goes, not my will, but yours be done. And I feel like what's taken place is that the branches in some areas have gotten too big. So today we're going to we're going to do some pruning, maybe some deconstructing for a little bit, uh, just to make sure that as we progress this year, that we're building things the right way. For many of you guys, you're going to be like, yep, no problem at all. But there has been areas in my personal life, and I've been doing ministry for, you know, a while, where even in this sermon, it was hard for me because there was moments where I would get cut, and I'd go, I need to take a time out. I need to pause for just a quick moment and ask myself, have I been pruning the trees that need to be pruned to grow the right way? And all of this today is for your joy. <laughs> I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for your joy. Our family wouldn't have put in the decades into, into, our, into your lives and then into this place if it wasn't for your joy. No, notice I didn't say your happiness. but I did say your joy. There's a big difference between happiness and joy. Can I tell you, the church isn't built for your happiness. It's not meant to be for your happiness. The church and everything in it is meant to be for your joy. Because happiness is as fickle as the wind. Have you ever woken up, had a great morning, Got some good sleep, coffee was ready, food was ready, the birds are chirping, beautiful outside. You're like, man, it's going to be a great day. You drive down the road, you turn the radio on, it's your song. You're like, oh, God is for me. You get on I-65, there's no traffic. 
You're like, glory to God. You get to work, you're in a great, great environment, in a great mood, and then she walks in, and she gives a look, and she has a comment, and your happiness goes from best day ever to how to get away with murder. And you're trying to figure out what's going on. You ever ask somebody, how's your day been? It's been horrible. And they tell you three things that took place, of which probably took 30 minutes apiece. And you went out of 24 hours, you had 90 minutes of garbage, and your whole day is horrible because happiness is not lasting. It takes one thing for my happiness to leave. Truly. You think Job was happy with the news? I, 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 I'm into our joy. And I'm not into boosting, encouraging, or helping our happiness because I feel like that's a cheap, cheap thrill. And my concern, so many churches have been going after your happiness. Because it feels good for the moment, and we can hoop and hurrah on a Sunday. But sometimes joy stings. Doesn't it, Elaine? Like sometimes joy stings a little bit. And if I go anywhere this morning, I want to get to the bottom on what's going on here, because as an ambassador of Christ, I'm here for your joy. And I think this place is so cool, and I think this place is full of love, and I've experienced forgiveness in this place, I've experienced joy in this place, I've experienced this thing. And, and what we have to do is go beyond our conversations and, and dig a little deeper to see what God is doing. To see what God is about. Because I believe that if we don't see his big picture, we will build a superficial plane that won't sustain you when it's your turn. You know what I mean when it's your turn? Like, some days suck. Elaine's always had great days. Every day she's ever lived was the best day ever. <laughs> when you live long enough, you'll experience pain. You live long enough, you'll bleed. You live long enough, you'll experience betrayal. I got one. Mm-hmm. Come on, somebody. You live long enough, you'll experience failure. You live long enough, you'll experience loss. You live long enough, you or somebody you know will have bad news from a guy in a white coat. I know I'm maybe a young guy. I'll be 40 in July, so I don't know where I feel on that anymore. Ecclesiastes in chapter 12 tells us that you'll live long enough. You'll find a day where you are upset that you woke up. That's what Ecclesiastes says. You'll wake up and go, come on. <laughs> I know that may not be a lot of you guys in this room, but that's what he says, that there'll be a moment in life where glory looks better than waking up. Now what we got to do is we got we got to get beneath all of the stuff. I mean, it's not just the words that God is holding everything together by His name. That's spectacular. 
It's not just that, that he's saving people, although he is. And it's, it's not just that he's healing people, although he is. And it's not just that he moves amongst us in the gifts, which he does. It's not just that he takes EJ on, on stage and leads us into the presence, which he does. Those are amazing things. Those are beautiful things. But can I ask you this question that we have to get to is why? If you can understand the why behind what God is doing, it will completely revolutionize your life. Because if I get to a place (laughs) that I can understand his why, can I tell you, it will set me free from me. And there's no freedom like being free from yourself. Think about that. Think if you, can I tell you, if the devil exploded today, you would still live with you. He could retire today and you would beat yourself up as good, if not better, than he ever could. Come on, somebody. Half the time, I wonder if he's just in Mars walking around and he's put myself in charge. Because there's no one on this earth that can hurt me like I can hurt me. There's nothing you can say to me that I haven't said six inches in front of a mirror. And if I can get to a spot where I can get rid of me and embrace him, freedom like you've never experienced before. And that's where we're going after today is to free you from you. So what is God doing? If I ask an unbeliever what God is doing and what God is about, it's a list of rules. Don't do this. You have to do this. You can't go here, but you can go here. You can't drink this, but you can drink that. And it's a list of rules as if God is this Zeus-like character waiting for a lightning bolt. Going, beep, 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 failure, and blast him out of the sky. That's what unbelievers have this idea of God, is that he's this angry, rule-driven individual that's hoping you mess up so that he can blast you off of the pages. But can I tell you, evangelicalism that we've experienced isn't any better. Because God is a God of rules, of yeses and nos, not because he's going to strike me with lightning, but because he's a spiritual Santa Claus, and if I do all these check marks, I can say what I want, and he'll have to grant me like a genie. We have two extremes in the world. God is angry. God is a sugar daddy. Do you notice what's in the middle? He's angry at me. He wants to bless me. Everything we have learned when it comes to what the pop culture is of Christianity is Peter-focused. That God is so awesome that he made me. Like there was one day he was bored. He had all this stuff in the universe. And he's like, you know what sounds great? 
a lying, manipulative, egotistical, narcissistic, a uh, 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 murdering, adultering group of kids. <laughs> Just <laughs> all over the place. No. Nobody's going to say that, but that's the truth. If we've created a gospel that God was bored and it's about me, then God, can I be honest with you? I'm questioning his creative ability if I'm the best he can come up with. Y'all quiet today. And listen, there's people that will show you, they'll walk you through the Bible and tell you, they can show you scripture and verse about how awesome you are. And I can show you where God wants to bless you, and he does. And I can show you where God loves you, and he does. And I can show you where God wants to prosper you, and he does. The underlying question is not what he wants to do, it's why. Why? Jesus is for you. Jesus loves you. And there's love in the things that he has for you, but ultimately God's motivation is not so that he and I can be boys. Have I made that happen in my life? Where I've watered the king of the universe to some guy who wants to just be my friend. Because he's my boy, he's got my back, right? He's ride or die. He's with me. Even when I make a mistake, he still says he didn't make a mistake. That's what boys do. Have I taken the creator of everything and tried to make him my bestie? Psalms 23. Everybody there? First one. The Lord is my shepherd. Now that sounds like he's for me. I mean, he's my shepherd. He's going to feed me. He's going to protect me. He's going to guide me. He's going to do all the things for me. He's going to take me into great places because he is in love with me. Ever been to a house and the <laughs> and the dog has a seat on the couch? Like that's his chair? And don't you dare sit in the dog's chair? Or you're eating dinner and the cat just jumps on the table and begins to eat food off the plate? And then I'm the bad guy because I smacked it off the table and everybody <gasps> as if I just punched their two-year-old in the face. You ever been to that awkward dinner? It's interesting to me how people treat their animals. And it's equally interesting to me... Sorry, Dad. I wasn't meaning that. It's equally interesting to me that the, the, the sheep think the shepherd is there for it. The sheep thinking that the shepherd is there for there is equally as stupid as thinking that the, the human exists for the dog. 
Can I tell you, that's not the way it works. Okay. Uh, Daryl has been working for the same company for how long? 20 years. 20 years. Daryl, can I tell you something? When they call him next week and say, hey, bro, we're no longer going to pay you. Daryl is so in love with what he does, he's going to show up every single day and serve that company. No, he's not. Can I tell you something, though? Hear me out for a second. The moment a wolf would come and eat up all the sheep, a shepherd would become a potter. In other words, the sheep cannot exist without the shepherd, but the shepherd can exist without the sheep. Some of y'all, light bulbs are clicking right now. The Lord is my shepherd is not because I'm so awesome. I am at his disposal. Put it back up. The Lord is my shepherd. Next part, I shall not want. This isn't about my desires or my needs, my, my, my deepest heart's desire. This is not the, the five-year-old at Target that's jumping up and down screaming, I want, I want, I want. And the parents go, oh, okay. God's not into that. God's not here for my everything, things that I could hope for and want. You know what he is, sir? He's here to meet my needs. He's here to do the things that goes on. He will provide all that I need. I understand that he is my shepherd, and as the shepherd, when I follow his lead, he will guide me. Next part. He makes me lie down. You can either lie down or you're going to lie down. He makes me lie down in green pastures. There's going to be a day that every knee will bow. You will either choose to bow or you're going to bow. My dad used to say, you can do this with a smile on your face or a sore butt, but you're still going to do it. <laughs> y'all have them parents. Whew. Bring them back, y'all. All right, here we go. Sorry, sorry, sorry. He leads me beside the still waters. And that sounds so beautiful. That's peace. He takes us into true peace. He restores my soul. And he leads me in the path of righteousness. So far, this sounds like God is in love with me and wants me to be happy and full of peace. I mean, he's my everything. He's just fascinated about me. I mean, listen, I've been going to the gym. I've been losing some weight on this fast, y'all. Come on. So I'm starting to look good. Like you're going, oh, he, he, he's just in awe and enamored with my awesomeness. I'm just read that passage. He's going to guide me. He's going to protect me. He's going to feed me. We're going to get some kind of romantic cruise down the lake, and he's just going to be paddling away. And then when we get out, He's got this blanket laid out and a picnic ready for me because he is so in love with me. Can anybody finish that? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness. Why? Wow, that changes everything. God's motivation for shepherding you 
his provision for you, his love for you, his passion about you, is because he is great. The motivation of his glory, it's his name. It's his renown. And this is the thing you're going to see over and over and over and over again in the Bible. And can I tell you, he's very unapologetic for it. And and I know this may jostle our idea a little bit, and, and this is not what popular Christianity is, and it's your best life ever and 15 reasons why God was lucky to pick you and, and, and all of these sermons about if you just do the one thing, God will do the 100 things. And, and you're doing all of these things because God is just so desperate to, to do something in your life. And, and it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance, which is a true statement. But we've perverted that to mean that God's just got to give you all your needs and wants and hopes and wishes, and then you'll repent. God's not trying to buy your salvation. It was already purchased. So let me, let me walk through this. It's going to be rapid fire for just a couple of minutes. In Isaiah 43, it says that God created us for his glory. Isaiah 49, God called Israel for his glory. Psalms 106, that God rescued Israel from Egypt. Why? Can anybody guess? For his glory. God raised up Pharaoh to show his power and to glorify his name. That's Romans 9. It's a very unpopular chapter. We're going to move past that. God defeated Pharaoh at the Red Sea to show his glory. And the, God's spirit was with Israel in the wilderness for the glory of his name. Ezekiel chapter 20. And God gave victory in the land of Canaan for the glory of his name. It wasn't because they were so awesome. In fact, he called them a stiff-necked group of people. But I'm still good. In 1 Samuel 12, God did not cast away his people. Why? The glory of his name. Tuck that one. We're going to go, we might come back to that one. Ezekiel 36, God restored Israel from exile for the glory of his name. John 17, 28, he sought the glory of his father in all that he did. Matthew 5, 16, and Peter, and, and, and 1 Peter uh, 2, 12, that we see Jesus tell us that he does the good works for the glory of his name. John 14 says that he answers the prayer that God may be glorified. John 12, John 17. He endures his final hours of the suffering for the glory of God. In Romans 3, 23, 25 through 26, God gave his son to vindicate the glory of his right. Vindicate the glory of his. Do you understand that verse? Vindicate the glory. You ever read the story of David? And, and David uh, was called a man after God's own heart, yet David, before Jesus, was called saved? How does that make sense? The adulterer who knocked up his adulterer wife, murdered her husband, that's the man that I like. It's not because God's like, hey, David, we've all made mistakes, bro. I got you. I've got some shady stuff in my past, too. No, God is un fathomably righteous he does not waver at all he doesn't look at me and go eh I'll make an exception for Pete I'm gonna do something for Candace because she's one of my top fives he wasn't looking at David (laughs) he wasn't looking at David going hey bro I'm gonna turn a blind eye because I know your heart no what he's saying in this passage this is so crazy is that Jesus was so great he went back in time and restored our brothers and sisters before the cross 
That's how powerful his blood was. Ah, John 16, 14, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify the Son of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do, whenever you go, do all these things for the glory of God. Has that ever messed with anybody's head? Like, how do I give glory to God at Starbucks? Huh? Mom says she'll think of a way. How do you drive your car for the glory of God? How do you take a shower for the glory of God? Do all these things, everything for the glory of God. It's not God just going, hey guys, next time you run through Starbucks, don't go, love you Jesus, and walk out. Everything we do is a heart to glorify God. First uh, Peter 4 says, Jesus is coming again to the glory of God. That's 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. The ultimate aim for us is to see that we will be filled with his glory. Golly, Habakkuk 2. The knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. Have you seen the sea? That's a lot of water. There's depth. To, there's layers to a sea. There's habitats in the sea. The glory of God will have layers all over. Oh, this is so good. One of my favorites is Re- Revelation 21, that the new Jerusalem is so powerful that Jesus will say, we don't need the sun anymore. I've got this. Everything he's doing is for the glory of his name. I'm sorry to pop some bubbles. Like I said, going through this, and realizing where I stood in the picture was a little painful. Does it mean he doesn't love me? Of course he does. Does it mean he doesn't want to prosper you and be in health as your soul prospers? Of course he does. But why? Because he's good. Not because I am. If you have your, go ahead, Ephesians chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, we're going to start in verse 3. And you'll see this... From Genesis to Revelation, the story of the Bible, that God is in the glory of his name and he's reconciling and he's reclaiming all things to himself. And I want to try to help you here. It's something big, something amazing. It's as as epic as it gets. The Bible is not about me. This thing right here, it's not a roadmap to your best life either. There, There are maps, but that's not what this whole thing is about. We've heard it said that this is a love letter to you and about you. That could not be further from the truth. Because this whole thing from the beginning to the end is not about me. It's about Jesus. Everything he does is about Jesus. Come on, somebody. We we got to get engaged here. And I feel like we we passed out these Bible reading guides, and, and I encourage everybody to read. Go through it. Read your word. You can see different dates with different scriptures. You can, if you follow that little, ch- that little thing, you'll read the entire Bible this year. If, if you're just now starting, then you can double up for 21 days or whatever, whatever day today is, and then you'll be right on track again. But here's where we are, 
is that we have believed this idea that I am supposed to read the Bible and insert myself into it. And that's not the case. I'm not supposed to infuse myself in the Bible as if I am the hero. I'm not David. You're not David. And if you're facing a Goliath, you've got big problems. You've got a slingshot, but you'll miss. And even if you're good aim, he's angry now. The, the story of David is not my story. When you insert yourself as the character of the Bible, you put weight on your shoulders you're not meant to carry. And you'll fail miserably. And you'll look at every relationship as they are my Goliath or that person holding me back, the haters. Can I tell you guys that I'm not the next David Jesus was the second David. Jesus is the greater Moses. Jesus is the greater Abraham. That's the whole point of Hebrews is that Jesus is better than all of the heroes. If we want to make it personal, we can. Jesus is the second David. Sin and death would be the Goliath. So where are you? You're the Israelites that are screaming in the corner. <laughs> this is our world that we're living in. And it hurts to hear this, and that's crazy. For millennia, the idea that the Bible being about me would have been heresy. And now this is commonplace in our churches. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. It's going to be some controversial words, but hear me out. Blessed be the God and our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. That's spectacular, right? All of them, all the gifts, all the blessings. That's so cool, but we, we need to see this correctly because for me and my generation this is not these we, <laughs> god is going to bless us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places but it doesn't mean that i'm going to get a new iphone every time it updates it doesn't mean that i'm always going to have a nice suit it doesn't mean that i'm always going to have the best car it doesn't all of those things. The Bible says don't store up yourself for moth and rust. It, we live in a world now where everything is going to expire. My word, by the time I preach this sermon, my iPhone will need to be updated. Like, it's ridiculous the amount. In the next 10 years, everything in your house, by and large, will be the, the, the stories of garage sales, Facebook marketplace, and the dumpsters. The things that we have been sweating for, bleeding for, working for, 40, 60 hours a week for, almost all of that will either end up in a dumpster or a landfill or a water treatment plant. You can figure that one out. God the Father blessed us with everything through Christ Jesus. 
even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us. Don't worry about that word of predestined. It means to be determined beforehand. Don't get hung up. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Verse 6 is huge. To the praise of his glorious grace wherein he had made us accepted in the beloved. Yesterday I was in the World War II Museum in New Orleans. I'm walking through all of this stuff and you... It's massive. I don't know if you've ever been to that place. If you find yourself in New Orleans, you've got to go to that. It's unbelievable to understand the, the vastness of this memorial. And I'm walking through, and uh, I could be speaking out of turn here, but my grandfather was a part of that. And I'm walking through this, and I'm seeing these different battles, and you've got the Battle of Argonne Forest, right? You've got the Battle of the Bulge. You're seeing these things, and you're like, how many men just died in that war, in that, in that one little battle? And then it was as if time stood still, and I realized that if my grandfather would have died, my dad wouldn't have been here. If my dad wouldn't have been here, he wouldn't have met my mom. If he wouldn't have met my mom, I wouldn't be here, which means Malachi McKenna, my kids wouldn't be here. Let's, let's take another step. Grandpa makes it through. He doesn't get stationed in Anniston, Alabama, but keeps going and gets stationed somewhere else, but my mom and my dad don't meet, then I don't come. Then my kids don't come. How about this? My mom's dad tragically died at a very young age, which kind of forced my parent, my mom to stay, right, in, in, in Anniston, moved him back to Anniston, where my dad happened to be, where they met. To add insult to injury, if I remember right, my dad was interested in somebody else and not my mom. And the sheer miracle of God that they stayed married long enough to have me. Can I say, there is over a billion reasons why I should not be here today. But in everything he guides. It's meant to take you to a place where you look at the reasons of why you shouldn't be in this seat, in this church, in this city, in this state. All of these things that lined up, I mean, perfectly for you to be here. Billions of reasons why you should not be here, but you're here. I can go back eight generations and say one decision different, my whole lineage would be different. Everything that had to line up for you to be here is bananas. And it's meant for us to pause and go, man, I'm fantastic. No, it's meant for us to pause and go, if not for Christ, there is no way possible I would be at this moment, at this section in my life. There's no way that you are an accident. I don't care what anybody says. 
There's no way that you are a mistake. There's no way that you're, you're, you're here just because you just happened to drive by one day. I can't tell you all the reasons why you're here, but I can tell you who does know. So begin to land this plane to the best of my ability. There is great news that God is for God and not for me. Two quick things. If God is for God, and God is ultimately about the praise of his glorious name and grace, then God is not after my begrudging submission. But he is after my joy. Because God's ferocious about your joy. And the more I enjoy him, the more he is glorified in grace. God is not after me to do a bunch of things. He's not trying to get me to make mistakes that I go to hell, nor is he trying to get me to jump through a bunch of hoops to go to heaven because going to heaven and and going to hell is not as much about me doing a bunch of good or bad things. There's not this balance and scale. It's because I have a relationship with God, which means if he is for himself and he can go back in time and forgive David of all the things that David did, God is not interested in you every day waking up and beating yourself up over the head to perform for him. And it's interesting to me that, especially in the New Testament, we, we attack the law and those Pharisees and those and this, but David used to stay up all night and sing about how much in love he was with the law. My delight is in the law of the Lord. And in it, I meditated on it. Really, David? Same thing? We're reading the same, the same law. And I'll tell you why. Since God is for God and not after my, 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 my begrudging submission and, and, and all those commandments, then his whole point of commandments is to lead you into a greater life found in him. This is, this is where John 10.10 10 comes in. The thief comes to steal, kill, but I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. In other words, I'm not here for you to wake up grumbling that you're serving me. I'm here to show you a way to have a great life. This is why we can push all of our chips and delight in his commands. Because he's so good. He's so good, y'all. He's so good that he didn't make it about me. That's a powerful statement to meditate on. He's so good that I'm not the important part. Because if I am the hero of the story, I think I look more like a villain. If you were to take my life and compare it to God's word, you'd be like, Pete is the villain of the story. But he's good. Which brings me to my second and biggest, biggest implication about God being about God. Ready? If God is about God, I'm not the center of the universe. Can you put that first photo up for me, uh, Joshua? The first one? Thank you. Yeah, yeah. This is a big place. No one in this room is bigger than this room, and this room is not bigger than our city. The city is not bigger than our state. The state is not bigger than our nation. Our nation is not bigger than this world. That's a big place. Yet, it's not the biggest. Slide two for me. 
the, the, the next, look how big our earth is compared to Jupiter. Look how, how small we are. Even though we think we are the center of the universe, look how dwarfed we are compared to Jupiter. Yet we don't rotate around Jupiter either. We rotate around the sun. Now look how big Jupiter is compared to the sun. It gets us into a place, and the conflict that builds is that we're worried about us, and the reason why I get so angry at traffic is because I'm, it's against me. Get out of the left lane. This is my season. This is my road. This is my life. This is my destiny, and all you other people who hold me back, you can go somewhere, and all, all, this is about my life and my happiness and my joy, and if you're not making me better, then you need to go. All of these things make my whole universe to be about me. There's conflict in your marriage because it's about you. Your spouse have been doing the things they wanted to do, then you'd be in a different spot. If your kids would do what you wanted them to do, then they would be in a different spot. And you're going through all of this because people don't give me the honor due that I think that I'm doing. That person got a raise and I didn't get a raise, and that's not fair. And if it's the center of the universe, I live my life angry, full of regrets, full of resentments, and full of bitterness. But if I can make Jesus the center of it all, there's patience, there's mercy. My relationships aren't about me. It's Christ-centered. I can stop talking about my happiness and start focusing on the joy of my salvation. When I'm not the sinner, I'm not concerned about what I'm owed. When I'm not the sinner, I'm not concerned about my well-being. I love what Paul says. Death is gain. We'll kill you. Okay? To be dead is to be with Christ. Then you can live. To live is to, to serve. Like, either way, Paul was like, I win. Why? Because I'm not the sinner of my own story. We're proclaiming the gospel because it's his good news. And we're telling his story. And not being the center of the story is not a bad thing. It's a freeing thing. We don't need to read the Bible to find ourselves in all the time and all the, all the stories, but we should read the Bible to find Jesus in everything. Pete, how do you go through Leviticus? Because I, it points to Christ. How do you make it through some of the, the Old Testament prophets? They're pointing to my Savior. And I can find him in every single book, in every single story, in every single situation, because I can see his goodness woven through every single story of my personal life because he has been leading and he has been guiding and he has been guarding you for this moment. And when we do this with total abandonment and realize I'm not the center of the universe, can I tell you what that frees me up to do? It frees me up to go and tell all the world. 
Because as long as I'm the center of the universe, I don't want to tell EJ about the gospel because she may reject me and she may make fun of me and she may tell somebody about me. But when I'm no longer the center, then say something about me. Reject me. It'll just be fuel to my fire because I'm getting rejected for the gospel's sake. And that's a great thing. But if I'm the sinner, then it's my feelings, it's my desires, it's my wants, and I don't want anybody to make a post about me, and I want to be a part of all the crew, and I want every time that there's a party to be invited, and every baby shower to be able to go to it, and I want to, I want to close my eyes on my, and, and picture at my funeral. It's so full, people have to stand and talk about how great I am. But at the end of it all, Am I living my life for me? Or am I living my life for him? Make it a step closer. Am I always praying for me? Or am I praying his will? Take another step. Am I reading the Bible for me? Or am I finding him and in him I find me? Those are two different things. I'm going to find my blessing of the day or he is my blessing and in him he finds all my wants and needs. In the next few days, we're going to be here every single night praying starting tomorrow night for, for, for Monday through Friday. And we're going to do corporate prayer, which means we're corporately all together in this room praying the will of God. But one thing I want to encourage you as you read your word is don't read the word so that I can get a personal nugget to tweet to look spiritual. And this is the problem where we come into some of our devotionals. They take one verse, they put it at the top of the page, and then they tell you what sounds good soup for the soul of that one verse, and I read my Bible, I'm spiritual. And the vast majority of them, can I be honest with you, nothing against devotions, but be careful because if they point your eyes back at you, we've got problems. I get no love today, Mom. <laughs> the amount of, I, I, I pan the way and I go, people, people's eyes pop up or they look down real quick. The, 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 the truth of the matter is for me today is this, is that I want to live a life that's gospel-centered, Jesus-focused, not Peter-focused. And can I be honest? I'm struggling. Let me explain how bad I'm struggling. Here's the bus. Pete's going to jump in front of it. This morning, I walked up here to play the piano with an attitude. You know why? Because at, the, at 10 o'clock on the dot, there were more people on the stage than there were in the seats. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. And then I realized, hey, stupid, this ain't about you. You should worship me, not I'm enhancing my worship if it's a full sanctuary or not. It sounds petty, but it was what I did. Maybe y'all are more spiritual than I am, but that was the truth. I walked up, what's the point? That was the first thought I had. What's the point? You know why? Because at 10.01, I was the center of my universe. And I closed my eyes and played the piano for three songs. I don't know if it sounded good or not. I, I played it for three straight songs. And it opened my eyes after I had repented before God. 
and realize, thank you, Jesus, I'm not alone in this place. Great crowd. If it happens here on a Sunday, why wouldn't it happen when the lady cuts me off at Walmart? If I'm willing to put me at the center on a Sunday, why wouldn't I put myself at the center when I'm driving down I-65 and there's traffic and somebody, how inconvenient for somebody to get an accident and make me late? If I'm not the center, if I'm a center on a Sunday, then I'm going to be a center when I don't get the deals, when I don't get the promotions, when I don't get the, the good news, and I don't get all the likes on Instagram, and, and I don't have all the followers. If I'm the center on a Sunday, I'm going to be a center Monday through Saturday just as much. So at the end of it all today, the good news is that God is for his name, not mine. We would live in a terrible world if he did everything that I wanted. Think about that. There's no way. So as we get ready to close today, dive into the word and look for him. Realize that you may be the biggest in your neighborhood, but when you see this graphic, you can see how small and insignificant you really truly are. He is the center of it all. And the idea that in the New Jerusalem, he's going to replace the sun. Think about how big he is. Amen. Father, we just thank you so much that you have deconstructed some things and as we read and as we experience and as we grow and as we're in our relationships and we're at work and we're going through health and finances and everything else that it's not about me that you are for me you are, are are this not because i'm awesome but because you are awesome you heal not because i deserve or because i've read or because i pray but because you are the healer you restore not because i've checked off every box but because you are the master restorer and you comfort not because I have just been your favorite, but because you are known as the comforter. Holy Spirit, we ask today as we leave that you just infuse the truth in every area of our lives, with every attitude, with every inconvenience, with every heartache, with every disappointment, that we have that twinge to go, it's not about me. It's about the cross. And every moment that we find ourselves in that, that twinge, that we can stop pray and repent and say, God, not my will be done, but yours. In your holy and precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.